0: Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome <laughs> back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by the easily pronounceable Eliza Eli Stoilova. Did I get that right? I think I'm close. Perfect. A Perfect. co-founder and the CEO of UMNI. I was like more concerned about how to pronounce the name of your company than your first name. But I want to ask you this before we. First of all, how are you? By the way.
1: Oh, great! Um, it's a sunny, wonderful day here in Sofia, Bulgaria. So what else we want from winter time? awesome.
0: <laughs> I love it. First of all, I don't miss winter. We can talk about that later too. I went to your LinkedIn profile, right? Because I feel like names are important. I say this on a lot of my shows actually, right? And you have your name, like you speak your name out. And I looked at it. And I'm like, huh, I wonder how you pronounce it. Because if she's speaking it out, it must be really hard. And then you just said, Elitsa. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's not that bad. <laughs> so I'm really curious. I know we talked about this before, but I'm really curious. When you meet people do they really have a hard name pronouncing it? I mean a hard time pronouncing it or or what?
1: Um when I when I worked in Asia Pacific uh, in the hotel I worked uh, there were uh, 28 nationalities. Yeah, so definitely there were a lot of uh, co-workers with pretty hard names from Philippines or from uh, Bangladesh. But definitely the number one most difficult name I ever had to learn uh, was when I was a student in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, there was another student, a lady with uh, from Mongolia. And it took me one week to remember her name. I put it on a paper and I was spelling it every single day for a week. Now I cannot forget it forever. It's like almost like 30 years later. And her name is Myangmarceren Chultamin. Here
0: we go. not I'm not even going to try. But here's the thing that I've learned. No, I'm serious about this. So I've done like 1,500 podcasts right in the last few years, and let's just say a lot of the names aren't native to me, but I think names are important, really important, right? Like when you were born, and not just you, but everybody who's been on the show, their parents, obviously my parents didn't think about it. Michael, it's the most generic male name anywhere. I think they were probably drunk or high or something. They're just like, I don't know. What's the most popular name this year? That's his name. I don't care. Just write it down. But for a lot of people, like their parents think about it. So I want to try. And what I figured out is that most people's names is just an accumulation of syllables, right? And if you break it down into its syllabic components, it's not that hard, I think, anyway.
1: True. You have uh, to put uh, sometimes uh, draw pictures in your mind to remember it. For example, my name in Bulgarian means a small pine tree or a oh. Christmas tree. Nice. Yeah. So. It's simple. See,
0: now I'm never going <laughs> to When you that. see me,
1: you just remember a Christmas tree or a pine tree.
0: <laughs> so does the A at the end of your name denote female? So like if you had a brother, would his last name be Stolov?
1: Precisely, yes. Okay. All Slavic uh, um, family names are like that. V-A at the end is female. Only V at the end or F at the end is male.
0: I've always wanted to ask somebody that. I always thought that and I was never sure. So now I know. Now I can take that off my list of things to ask the next person. Because actually the next person I'm recording with is named Gavrilov.
1: Okay, so it's a male.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, let's get off the name thing. Bingo. Bingo. Um, And he's Russian. So yeah, same thing. Well, not the same thing as Bulgaria, but same sort of derivation of the name. Definitely. Can we get some of your background for some context? And then I want to go into all this time that you spent in Asia and see like how you then got back to Bulgaria. Go ahead.
1: My path didn't start in Asia. It started in North Africa. Oh, tell me. Yeah, I work in Turkey, Tunisia, and Morocco for almost five years uh, working in hotels. And uh, my job in hotels allowed me to work and travel and have fun. So I was kind of a, a nomad, not a digital, but a nomad uh, in uh, 1995, 20, 2000, year 2000. Uh, one day when I was in uh, Morocco, uh, that was year 2000, when uh, the internet became the big deal like the GPT now. And I was spending my day off in on Fridays in, uh, if people that are older, they would remember it. It's called uh, Internet Cafe. Cafe, I know. <laughs> uh, Yes, I was sitting and spending my days off in this internet cafe, just being amazed how I can learn so many things about so much stuff just online without moving from my chair. And I found a job offer for Asia Pacific Mariana Islands, and was like, "Gosh, I don't know where Saipan is, um, but why don't uh, why don't we try?" So I applied, and I was like Bulgarian with English and Russian in North Africa, applying for Asia Pacific. No way they're going to hire me. But a few days later, a co was like, girl, come here. And that's how I got my one-way ticket to Asia Pacific. And I spent another cent- 17 years on Mariana Islands, doing uh, developing my career in hospitality from animator to a general manager of a hotel, a tour operator of a hotel. I was also a consultant of the local visitor authority in destination marketing. So uh develop micro-tourism and
0: hospitality there. Without, uh, without me doing too much math and giving away too much information, the way the world is set up today and the way it was set up when you were a little girl are like two completely different places, right? And growing up in <laughs> Bulgaria, it was, must be completely different. It must look completely different to you than it does today. But when you were a kid, did you go into hospitality, not specifically for this, but maybe with this in mind, this idea of you said, I can travel and have fun, and by the time it became possible for you to do that, how exciting was that for you? Do you know what I, Do you know what I mean? Like, do you remember that feeling?
1: Yes, I remember that feeling. But actually, I was a reporter, and my official first profession is uh, journalism and PR. Go ahead. So uh, when the job offer to go to to, to Turkey to work in a hotel came to me. I was a reporter in a newspaper. Uh, I just needed to switch uh, the heads and do something different. And I was like, wow, I can change my profession and write so many articles about Turkey and about how animators are and what are the challenges and blah, blah. It's like, okay, let's go for one summer to Turkey. And it was really exciting because I was kind of uh, undercover journalist uh, in tourism industry in Turkey. But I fell in love with tourism and that was all. I finished my career as journalism and start my career as a hospitality professional.
0: I love it. When I I lived in Tokyo for 22 years and I remember explicitly and really clearly like the first time I heard about the Marianas Islands and I remember going to Saipan. I went diving there, I went fishing. I went, I can't remember what it's called, deep sea fishing there. Um, I caught a marlin like it was just an amazing place but to me
1: Ooh, it was super marlin.
0: cool like I literally sat in a chair and did this thing and leaned into it and it was just amazing but before I went there I thought it was the most exotic place in the whole world right because if you go to if you look at where Saipan is in the world it's like this tiny island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean what surprised you when you got there and then you stayed there for 17 years like it is a pretty neat place yeah
1: it is definitely. Uh, for people that are seasoned in uh, tra- in traveling in exotic uh, places, yep. Saipan may be not the first in the list. However, what really uh, strikes there is uh, the possibility to mix travel and tourism.
0: Yep. Uh,
1: because uh, one is related to discovering new, unusual places and uh, having uh, different uh, experiences. And the other is about more leisure and relax. So uh, the islands uh, are connecting uniquely the both. The, the 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 thing that most strike you actually a couple. Uh, first, Saipan was uh, in the record of Guinness with the most constant temperature year round, twenty seven degrees Celsius. Wow. So. December and June, you have 27 degrees Celsius. Beautiful. How nice it is. It's like a human incubator. Yes, <laughs> like you, you have no challenges when it comes to uh, the weather like that. When you dive, you have like 30 meters visibility. I mean, the water so in there. There is 4,000 kilometers around. There is nothing to break your ecology. You have a clean air, clean water, uh, tropical fruits. It's like a little paradise to live there. And that's what held me there for 17 years. But what's really fascinating is the ancient history of the islands and and Mariana Trench nearby. These are things that kept me alert and and wanting to know more and discover more for 17 years. Because in Mariana Islands, there are some megaliths that are like uh, 3,000 years before Christ old. They were already um, forgotten megaliths when Magellan found them and the expeditions after the Magellan. And nobody know who created these uh, lattice stones uh, when the humans were just uh, fishing as a business. Then the Second World War uh, is really a, a dramatic uh, event in the history of the islands. So they have a really unique history that, uh, that deserve to be known.
0: I, I agree with you. Look, I think one of the first things you said when you talked about going into an internet cafe was just you were amazed at how much you could learn it's not always the first thing that people say. You seem like a super, what's the word, curious person. Like, I feel like in a way you should be doing my job and I should be doing your job in a way because I feel like you could probably ask more curious and interesting questions than I could. Because you're right. In a way, you're a stealth journalist. So you don't seem like one. Do you know what I mean? I don't know.
1: Yes, I understand what you mean. Uh, you never, there are no ex-journalists.
0: Uh, yeah. there are no... <laughs> That's true.
1: That's true. <laughs> They're no ex-journalists. So I love learning. Uh, I don't know if it's my uh, sign, astrology sign. I'm Gemini. And uh, it's we are known, Gemini are known to be really curious people. But um, if I don't learn new things, it's like me getting, being stuck. I always promise myself that this is it. This is the last course I do, the last yeah. thing I'm going to learn. Now we take a break. And in a month or two, I I have problem like uh, a drug have been removed from my diet and I uh, start feeling really bad and I have to sign for the next thing. So uh, I don't remember myself being longer than one month, not learning something new. Uh, It's it's something really important to me to keep me fresh,
0: to keep me alive. But you must have reached a point in your life, and I feel like I have as well, where... I kind of know that I'm not going to do the same thing forever if it requires me to be bored and I'm not learning anything new. Or like a lot of people ask me why I do what I do. And I say to them, look, in the last few years, I've done 1,500 recorded conversations. What do you think I've learned? I mean, the thing that I love doing when I reach out to people like you that I don't know is because they just seem so interesting. And I feel like if I could just spend an hour with them chatting... I'm going to be better off for it and hopefully they will be too also the audience should learn something but if nothing else i learned something i love living this way yeah
1: yeah definitely every person is as a unique book so you can learn a lot from every single person you talk to
0: absolutely that's
1: what i really love and that's why i love being a journalist then that's one of the things i loved and because of which i stay for 22 years in hospitality because I met so many different people from different cultures. Yeah. And uh, if I didn't learn something from them, they push me something to learn something for them. Like when customers come and ask me, okay, what's in the bottom of Mariana Trench? I was like, huh, let me find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know the answer for the next customer. And that's really so exciting.
0: Yeah, but that's kind of cool, right? Because... You don't know the answer to everything, and it's okay if, like, I'm pretty comfortable saying I don't know, but once I do find out, I can add it to my sort of arsenal of things that I do know, and then when the next guest comes and says, how deep is the Marianas Trench, you can say it's like six and a half miles, like, I don't know what it is, but you know, and then they walk away and they think, that gal from Bulgaria is pretty smart, she knows everything, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Yes,
1: (laughs) yes. Yeah, I don't pretend to be smart, but I just uh, love uh, the challenge to learn new things. And it really opens your mind uh, really broadly. Um, And I think this is extremely important to stay, to keep your mind young. The,
0: The other thing that I think about, particularly in the hospitality industry, when you're not in your home country, right? So if you stay in your hometown, if you grow up in New York and you work in the hospitality industry in New York, You spend the rest of your life still doing the same things and talking to the same people that you did on a day-to-day basis when you were growing up. But if you leave your home country and live outside for 20 or so years, and then meet people from all over the world, at some level, it has to change your preconceived notions about who is what and all the generalizations you hear about people from country A and country B and country C. I think it makes you more well-rounded and just a better person in a way, no? No.
1: Absolutely agree. When people live uh, in the, the, their country and do not live other places or in their city, because there are people that never leave their city. Yeah. Uh, I know such people. It's like living on a small island in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's surrounded by water. Right. That's it. Right. I mean, if you want to discover the world, you have to cross the water. You have to get out there and uh, get on the airplane, get on the ball and just cross the water. The same is with uh, going to other uh, other places of the world, meeting other cultures. uh, Really, that breaks a lot of concepts that are wrong about people, about behavior, what's right, what's wrong, because these are very uh, subjective matters. They change with fashion, with years, with century, and from country to country also. Um, And that's making you more... um, Uh, give you a little more peace in your soul and mind and also make you more flexible in communication with people and more and you understand people better. Uh, I think that's really important.
0: I I agree. And you reminded me of something. I was at a tech conference in January and one of the guys and gals that gave a presentation on sort of ethics and values in technology. And it was super interesting. And and I'll get back to your story in a second, but I just want to share this with you one of the things that he said one of the points that he made was if you show a moving map a historically moving map of how the values and ethics of regions have changed over time it's constantly changing and if you don't travel you don't get that feeling anyway i just thought it was super interesting
1: but coming back to internet you don't need to travel physically to be there Internet now allow us to travel virtually. If you wish, you can get deeper in another place and country just by sinking in their mm-hmm. informational ecosystem.
0: Yeah, if you're curious, right? If you're curious, yes. <laughs> and you definitely are. And I think you've actually come up with a title for this episode already, which is You Have to Cross the Water. I love it. I really love it. What made you cross the water again and go back to your home country?
1: I was... 45 years old uh, on the top of my career general manager of a hotel successful career in hospitality people knows me right. uh, being in Rotary so uh, kind of I settled my life uh, pretty well and okay you see the Pacific Ocean from your window you have mango in your garden and come on what else you want from your life I don't
0: know I'm leaving right now to go do that like can I leave now <laughs>
1: Um, But there was a moment when I realized that uh, um, I am not part of uh, the life of my family, my brother and my mother, Um, and we don't have shared experiences and memories. The fact that I have been home for a month every year for vacation, uh, it doesn't create history uh, with your loved people. Um, These are just a few pictures in your hard drive and uh, a bunch of messages in Viber or WhatsApp, but not not emotions, you didn't hug uh, one of them, you didn't drink your coffee and just chat chat about nothing, how the grass is growing in the garden, there's so valuable moments that I missed and uh, it was a tough decision for me, it took me two years to decide it because I knew I'll I'll have to start from scratch going back home, but uh, then I decided really it's extremely important I have traveled the world, I have seen different things, I have experienced different things, it was time to give time back to family And that's why I came back home, Um, whatever I do, I want to be part of their life and be close to them, to jump in the car and go and hug my mom.
0: I woke up this morning and unrelated to anything, I thought, when was the last time I saw my daughter? She came and visited me in August. And it feels like it was, and she was here for three weeks or it wasn't, it wasn't that short. And I feel like too long. Right. And she's in college now. So I definitely don't see her every day. I don't talk to her every day. And I thought the same thing you did. Right. You want to have this experience in life where you look back and say, remember that time when you were 21 and we did that thing and we fell down and then that thing broke and then that cake fell on my head and oh my God, it was hilarious. Don't have that. And I just was thinking, like, what do I have to do to facilitate that? And the fact that you actually gave up your career. Because the other thing too is, as a 45 year old, you've had this incredible life. And no one can take that away from you. This is the thing that I've taught myself, is that like... Absolutely. No matter what happened to me up until now, I've done all this really interesting stuff. And I can do whatever I want because you can't take that away. And I want to create those things with my daughter. So I completely understand this feeling of, I want to be in the garden with my mother and my brother. and Just talk about dumb stuff, Yeah.
1: Um, actually, that's the question my brother asked me. And it was the most important question when I came back home, uh, because then the next step was to be to found a startup at 45, six years old. It was like, I, me, startup in technology, come on. And my brother asked me the most important question of my life. So what's the worst thing that can happen? I was like, to fail? Exactly. But he said, no, after you fail, what you can do? Oh, become again GM of a hotel? Right. He said, exactly. How, work, how bad is that? Nobody will take the experience you have, the knowledge, everything you are today. So really, failure is imaginary, uh, and it's not something that uh, really matters. So that, that was something that uh, made me, in, in a split second, make the decision, yes, I'm doing it.
0: I love this too. Failure is imaginary. I think I'm going to have to stop you from talking now because there are too many good titles. But here's the other thing. As a 46-year-old or a 47-year-old, you are at the optimal statistical age to actually start something from scratch. There's an image, I think, in the world of, and I'm going to say what the image is, I'm not agreeing with it, of like a 25-year-old guy in the basement eating ramen, right? Coding something on his own. And the reality is that those guys rarely succeed. What's more likely to happen is someone like you or someone like I am, I'm 57, but I mean, I started this when I was 50, let's say, or 52, because there is no downside.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't know that uh, 47 is the perfect time to start a startup. Uh, I didn't know it. I learned it after that. But I also learned that the most successful startups uh, are from people that are already retired. They are 65, 67. <laughs> 95% of them succeed, only five fail. This is the opposite from those guys in the basement. So the older you are, the, the succeed, uh, success rate increase. Yeah, I think it's a good time to challenge yourself and uh, to keep yourself young and
0: fresh. I agree. Tell me about Omni. What is it? Why did you name it Omni? What does it do? What was the idea? Just go.
1: Okay. Omni uh, means smart in Bulgarian. Like and it looks, it looks, it's so simple. It's available as domain. So that's another benefit. But also it sounds so much like Omni um, in uh, In English, English. yeah. And Omni, and Omni has a deep meaning, I will not go this direction. What makes me um, (laughs) found Omni and what was the idea behind was that uh, I ended up participating in Founder Institute Accelerator for fun uh, because I was in Bulgaria, I was looking where is my place and what I would like to do with my life and I was like, okay, let's go to Accelerator and see what will happen. But in FI, they gave me the right questions that uh, make me think on the third week of my participation in Accelerator about the Challenges I was solving as hotelier, uh, and what which was the core challenge. That's how I came uh, to the idea that communication is the the the, the really big challenge because um, there is so much human time wasted in hospitality and other businesses Everywhere. because of questions. Routine questions is so much, so much human time capital lost and trashed because of it. I was like, that's what I want to solve because I struggle with. It. I was eight hours at the front desk, not remembering the people, but just keep answering the same questions. Right. I have been working 18 hours a day, not remembering my day and feeling totally lost at the end, totally exhausted. I was like, what was the purpose of my life today? Yeah. So, and it was like, gosh, that's it. I need to work to, to find a solution uh, and to bring to people a solution that will save their time and give them time back to be, to develop themselves as human beings, as professionals. And so the life will be interest, more interesting and the business will be more successful at the same time. And then the chatbot pop-ups and we start uh, with uh, my co-founder, uh, first working for chatbots in hospitality. Then we created a chatbot for a city as a pilot project. And it was like, gosh, that needs a platform. I mean, it's too big a project to be just handled somewhere else. Right. Um right. and during the and then the pandemic hit us, and that was one of the best things happening to us because we lost our customers. Why it's the best thing? Because it really opened stretch our mind was like, why chatbots for hotels? Why not platform for everybody to have AI chatbots as easily as playing with Lego? Right. And we thought that our life during the pandemic, creating that platform that every business, even the smallest one, can have a chatbot with AI or with AI to be able to solve these communication problems and then also marketing problems and also sales problems and then extending their work 24-7 because what we find now is that up to 45% of the people search for help and information and service around midnight, the, the next shower after 10 o'clock in the morning is 10 o'clock in the evening. It's but summer. the businesses are closed at that time and they lose business and they lose customers and they cannot serve their customers if they don't have a technology there. Because this is expensive human time. The, the night sheets, the weekends, the holidays, but the customers want it at any time they're not often nighttime weekends and holidays and that's how omni, omni was born and our platform was born
0: i want to show you this piece of paper because these are some of the notes that i take like during the day so you can tell it's not fake double-sided okay and during the day seriously i don't have time to look at it i write it all down i'm like okay i'll get to that and then i'm like okay i have to go to bed and it's 11 o'clock at night or 11 30 and i need to calm like i need to calm my brain down i don't know if you go through this you're like day is over like you said 18 hours what did i do why did i do it why does anybody care and then i'm like oh i forgot to do that thing i need to find out about x but oh they're asleep Mm -hmm. but it's on my list let me see if i can find out now and you're right i was up until 1 30 last night this is not an exaggeration i can show you on my watch i went to bed at like 135 and most of what i did between 12 and one was like look for stuff
1: exactly yeah exactly Actually, uh, what we discover and in, in on our platform, we have really huge variety of uh, industries, um, from hospitality, of course, because as ex hotelier, I yep. dearly love and wants hospitality to change. Uh, to we have a funeral agency and art gallery and beauty salons and uh, non profit organizations. So it's uh, online stores, offline stores. Like uh, we have very different industries uh, on our platform, but their chatbots go fall to sleep three o'clock in the morning and wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Why? Until three. Yeah, until three in the morning, there are people chatting with chatbots. And in five o'clock in the morning are the first people that are asking questions in the chatbot. So uh, chatbots sleep only two hours. <laughs> in Only two hours from three to five. <laughs> Um yeah, that's another huge value that comes, additional value that comes from the from automating the these communication flows that go through the business. Um, y- you want to be there when they are the customers, and you cannot do it with human with manpower. You have to save your manpower for more valuable tasks. Give it to robots, give it to chatbots, right. give it to machines, give it to software, hardware, anything that can do the job.
0: What is the implication? So here's the thing. Nothing changes overnight. People like to talk about this thing of like, oh, this thing's an overnight thing. It just came out of nowhere. Artificial intelligence has been developed for 70 years. Who knows? I'm just picking a random number, right? And every decade, someone says, okay, now it's going to change. And then one day you wake up and there's, you know, Sam Altman starts open API, Microsoft invests billions of dollars in it. And then there's ChatGPT. And you've been sort of working away at this thing. What changes when the global consciousness now is aware that artificial intelligence is the thing that can be used, right? Where a chatbot's not just a thing that has like a set menu of answers that someone's already programmed in, but that it can now go out and access information for better or for worse. Yeah, but what's the implication of this getting out into the world, whether it's ChatGPT or Microsoft, I mean, or Google Bard or any of these other things? How does it change what you do or the way people think about what you do when this thing blows up in the news?
1: Um, uh, from practical point of view, uh, what's changed now is uh, that people finally uh, are paying attention to the solutions, okay. to the technology, and that it can be used for good. I'm a positive person and I, uh, when I see a knife, I think about salad, not about further so (laughs) yeah so uh i'm a positive person and look on ai the same way i love it i think still uh i come back to the same thing which is the extremely the most important thing in our life we have Uh, and this is a resource that is not replenishable we lose it every single second and it's our time um ai is here and at the bottom line uh, for me that's the most important aspect of ai AI is here to save and extend our life because it's saving us time and is having so many other benefits when it's used in medicine and other industries uh, and uh, directions that actually extend our capabilities as human beings. We we can become larger human beings using AI in our life
0: in any direction. So I think about this a lot, right? And I'll tell you why. At my age, at 57, I've seen so many of these cycles. And every time a new technology gets introduced, there's all this hullabaloo or all this noise around, okay, well, that's going to put an entire sector of society out of work. And the first time you hear it, you get super nervous because a lot of people that don't have enough experience freak out, right? They get super nervous, like, okay, that's going to put 35 million people just in my country out of work. And historically, what it's done, whether it's moving from agrarian society to industrial society or from industrial to thought work, from thought work to artificial intelligence, I think historically we've learned that what it really does is it frees humans up to do other things and actually live better lives, no?
1: Exactly. We live much better than any other century before us. We are capable of doing so many things that other people never would even know they can do, and we are doing it. And uh, that's uh, what comes with artificial intelligence for me. I mean... um, It's also like extend our length of life so we can do more things too, as uh, another very physical benefit of us being making us healthier, stronger, much, much more clever. So, uh, that's really um, a new way of uh, uh, thinking. Uh, about how we want to live and what we want to do and when we talk about people losing the job because everybody asks me like now what you're going to push people out on the street without job the answer is uh, and it's a fact every technology every technological
0: advancement yeah.
1: advancement open five new professions mm-hmm. jobs on the market so <laughs> actually the more technology comes, the more people the more people were needed to work the problem is not lack of employment of place for work. The problem is that people have to learn to adapt to the new, to the new reality. But is that so large, big problem to learn? Let me tell you a story of a lady, young Russian lady here in Bulgaria, from which I was buying underwear every year, coming here on vacation to Bulgaria. I meet her here, here in the smell in the small garage, when she was selling ladies' stuff. One day, I was like, "You are young. Uh, why don't you do something else with your life?" And she was like, oh, what can I do? It's like, learn. I mean, now it's all good to learn uh, programming, uh, coding. Uh, you can do it. I mean, come on. And the next year, like the year before I came back to Bulgaria, she was not there. Somebody else was having this garage with the ladies, ladies stuff. I asked them, where is the lady? And they didn't know. She, she just left. Then two years ago, I was speaking in a conference about AI and stuff like that. And she came to me very well dressed, nicely. It was like, wow, I couldn't recognize him. It was like, wow, look at you. You're so different now. What's happened with you? She said, I listened to you. I signed up for um, uh, for programming, for coding uh, courses. I finished, I found my job. Now I have a very good salary. Uh, it was hard for me because I didn't know English and I didn't speak Bulgarian. But here we go. Uh, I have wonderful life and I came to this conference mm-hmm. just to tell you, thank you for telling me that I had to learn. Yeah. So here we go. This is a sample that everybody can do it. There are so many, many opportunities today to learn in very short time. Um, and it's only a matter of us saying like, I can do it. I'm going to do it. That's so- it. Let's
0: I was thinking about this a couple of days ago with somebody, right? Because my whole business is around audio and video. And I had to teach myself in my 50s how to edit audio and how to edit video, which seemed daunting to me. And then I thought about it more. And in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, right, when they were making the first movies, it was a very specialized thing to film on film, right, to record on film. And then to cut that film, you can see me moving both of my hands with knobs onto an editing table where you literally had to look frame by frame by frame. I mean, Disney used to sell cells of drawn movies. That was highly specific and highly skilled. But today I was in a coffee shop. This is not a joke and not a made-up story. I was in a coffee shop and there was some dude drinking a cup of coffee, working with his mouse on Adobe Premiere, editing video. And that would have been impossible like 10 years ago. And that dude may have had some other job where he was like... (laughs) unfortunately, probably working in a bank or doing something silly in finance, (laughs) useless, because I did it, I can say whatever I want. But today he's doing that in a coffee shop. So it didn't put him out of work. It actually changed his life to where he can sit in a coffee shop, relax and do his thing. And that's amazing, I think, yeah? Yeah.
1: What's really wonderful about the technology is that it allows us to uh, focus on the more creative part of uh, us as being. Yeah, Uh, because everything else is made simple by technology.
0: I agree. Can I ask you this? What what does growth look like to you now for UMNI, now that you've been at this for a few years and now coming out of the pandemic, because we're out of it, I would say, yeah, for sure. But again, it was almost good for you, right? Because you lost the hospitality clients and you had to think a little bit outside the box about who am I going to serve now? I can serve a bigger audience. But now that you've done that, what does growth look like to you?
1: After we created uh, the platform um, and we started using it with our customers, uh, we spent, uh, it's not like the growth that everybody imagined, like, yay, how this year we are here and the next year we are unicorn. But we are taking our steps uh, to find out what the businesses really need and how they use chatbots, what are the bottlenecks for them, what are the bottlenecks for us. And so we are about in two months from now to release new version of our platform. Okay. This is now the big, the real deal for us because uh, it is a total enhancement on everything uh, we have uh, currently as uh, functionalities and as uh, opportunities for business uh, in creation of chatbot. And we are looking towards turning the AI chatbot in a super app for the business. It's not just, frequently asked questions, uh, a bit promotion and things like that. Uh, we are looking into giving to the business, uh, to the small and mid-sized businesses, an instrument that will make them competitive to the big guys. That's uh, And when we succeed to give that in the hands of small businesses, that's what success will look for us.
0: Got it. Look so what that means is we're going to have to come back to you in six months and try to figure out exactly what the relief, because I feel like we've caught you at a good time. I didn't know this when I reached out, right? But now it means that we have to reach out to you again in like four or five months to catch up and try to figure out what was the implication of the release of this new product? How did things change? Because this idea of building a super app that allows small and medium-sized businesses to compete with big businesses, again, this is one of the changes that technology allows us, yeah? Is that in the same way I can sit in a studio with a few lights and cameras and replicate being on TV or making a movie, you can do the same thing for small and medium-sized businesses and I want to find out after that gets released, how that's going. Is that cool?
1: We are actually now also looking for funding to speed up this process. So in six months, really, we really can give uh, good results. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> I didn't know that either. I didn't know that either. So I'll let you go, but tell me, before I let you go, what's the best way for people to reach you and talk to you about this?
1: They can find me on LinkedIn uh, when they type Elitsa Spillover. Okay. Uh, they also... Um, can use very simple very easy mail.com also to me which is salesetumni.bg got it uh, it's easy to write and easy to remember um, and also they can uh, find me um, I'm on Viber on WhatsApp on uh, Telegram uh, Instagram so they can look for me in all this uh, whatever is the easiest way for them to
0: communicate with me awesome I'll put some of that in the show I'm notes. a
1: person that is totally in communication
0: perfect like I said I'll put that in the show notes Elitsa Stolova, I hope I got it right again, a co-founder and the CEO of UMI. Thank you so much for doing this today. That was super.
1: Thank you for the wonderful conversation.